Today's scripture is Malachi 3, verse 5. Then I will draw near to you for judgment. I will be a swift witness against the sorcerers, against the adulterers, against those who swear falsely, against those who oppress the hired worker and his wages, the widow and the fatherless, against those who thrust aside the sojourner, and do not fear me, says the Lord of hosts. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You guys can take a seat. Thank you, Allison. Well, um, good morning again, everybody. I know it's been said a few times. My name is Sean. I'm the lead pastor, teach pastor here for Redemption Peoria. Um, we're going to jump into Malachi chapter 2. We're actually going to do ch- uh, chapter 2 and 3. Um, and I'm going to switch this. This is driving me crazy. Ballin, going back to the charismatic days again. Here we go. All right. Um, all right. So here's, here's what I want to do. I want to pray for our time together. Uh, and then I also want to pray for King of Kings, which is in the Goodyear kind of Litchfield area. Um, they have been a church that honestly has a long history. Actually, some of you have come from King of Kings. They're Presbyterian. Uh, they had a pastor for a while, Josh Hani, who eventually stepped down just recently. They got a new pastor, Pastor Josh. We want to pray for him as well. The hope and the goal is to pray for our time um, uh, in Malachi, but also pray that God would move in the same way for them. So that's what we're going to do as we, uh, we dive in. So let's do that now. Father, thank you so much just for who you are. Thanks for um, growing us, um, for not letting us uh, stay the way that we are as we desire to be in your image, but we can't do it on our own. We need your help. And we pray, God, that you'd help us do that well. Um, we pray that as your word comes alive and it grows us, gives us faith, that we'd be encouraged, we'd be rebuked. Uh, the ball would move down the field just a little bit more this morning. Uh, we pray, God, that that would be true as well for uh, King of Kings, that you'd be with Pastor Josh uh, and his ministry there, be with the elders there. Pray, God, that you would uh, bless their time, that they would grow in their faith. Thank you so much that the kingdom of God is way bigger than Redemption Peoria. Our city would be totally done for if that was the case. So thank you, God, that it's uh, uh, moving and it's alive and active in so many other churches uh, across the West Valley. Uh, We love you. We thank you. In Jesus' name, amen. So um, I'm going to jump in. There's a a lot to to do here. Here's what's interesting about Malachi chapter 2. I was telling Juan and Tina this because I'd spent the week with them. They're pastoral resident. uh, Juan's a pastoral resident here. I was studying this week and I was looking at it and thinking about how heavy last week was and how heavy the week before that was and so on and so forth. And um, as I was thinking through it, I had this idea. Some of you are parents in the room and you get, you kind of understand where I'm going. Um, some of you maybe have an animal, you've tried to train a dog, but if you've ever been a coach or a boss or a parent or whatever, and you're trying to teach someone or something, uh, this new thing, there's always this fine line you're walking. Okay. And this line is this, uh, I would call like a line of fragility. It's this line where if you press them too hard, especially when they keep messing up, right? Your kids, if they just keep getting the same thing wrong over and over and you just keep thundering them over and over and over again, what, what the line you're walking is, I want to get you better as a boss. I want to get you better as a pet owner, whatever it is, like stop pooping on the carpet. I want to get you better as a child, stop pooping on the carpet, whatever it is, right? I want to get you better. And as I'm trying to get you better, when you keep messing up, I'm, I'm walking this line of going, uh, like, I want that, but I also don't want to discourage you by just mailing you with critique all the time. And that line there is, is really delicate. The reason I bring it up is because I was telling Juan this, as I've been reading Malachi, and as we continue to go through it, it just feels like God doesn't care about that line. Like, it feels like based on last week, it was like, wow, that was a lot, Lord. And then you're like, okay, good. Well, let's, yeah, yeah, we're not done, 
right? And then, and then it's like the, the week before, well, that, Lord, that was a lot. Yeah, that's good, but we're not done, right? And we're going to show up next Sunday, and it's like, Lord, that was a lot. That was heavy. Yeah, but we're not done, right? And it feels like over and over, but I want to encourage you because, again, today being as heavy as it is, the reality is I want to jump back to Malachi 1 and remember the reason he's doing all this is because he loves us. I mean, if you love this object, you love this person, you're, you're continuing to push them forward, and, and it's a good thing no matter how difficult it is. And so as we see that, as we dive into our text, I want to remind you of that. But what's interesting about our context is I feel like as you read through Malachi, what comes up as a drum beating, like, fix this, you're doing this wrong, fix this, it feels like the same drum being beat over and over and over again, I would argue because it's of obstinance. Meaning the people of God in our text in Malachi, they continue to push back. So if you're a coach or you're an employer or you have this pet, right? Whoever it is, however you're training someone, you know the kid who's always like, well, why? Why do we have to do that? I don't want to. It's that kid you want to thunder all the more, right? It's the, 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 the other kid who's like, I trust you. Like, I'll do what you say, which is no kid ever, right? But, but the kid who's like, oh, I'm pushing and pushing. That's the kid you want to go, okay, fine. You want to know why? Here's why, right? Now go clean your room. Go clean her room. Go clean the backyard. You could have just got away with just picking up your mess, but you wanted more. And this is what it feels like. In our text, uh, we have six rhythms in the book of Malachi that I brought up in the first week, which essentially lay out this idea. God is saying, hey, here's where you're at. And then the people of God respond with, what do you mean? And then God responds with, here's what I mean. We have six of those. And so we're taking six Sundays to lay out those six interactions between God and his people. And we have another one here in verse 17. So you can jump there. Malachi chapter 2. We've been going through this thing verse by verse, chapter by chapter. uh, And it's tough. And the reality is, as we keep pressing and God keeps pressing, let me just call it out for what it is. Um, Malachi doesn't leave a lot of room for uh, nominal Christians. Right. The, the, the truth is uh, what we find in Malachi is saying, listen, things are going to be difficult. It's not going to be easy what I have to say. And some of you are going to go, I don't like a God like that. We love us some grace, but we don't love a God of judgment. And that's what we're going to read about. We're going to continue to press into this is what Malachi is doing. So Malachi chapter two, if you don't know where Malachi is, it is the last book in the Old Testament. Your Bible's broken up into two testaments, old and new. You'll see Malachi it's the last book in the Old Testament. Verse 17 says this, you have wearied the Lord with your work. But you say, how have we wearied him by saying everyone who does evil is good in the sight of the Lord and he delights in them or by asking, where is the God of justice? There's that interaction, right? You see the first part in 17, you've wearied the Lord. The second interaction, the interaction response from people is going, well, how have we wearied him? And then God responds. You know, the first thing I want to bring out is that statement there. As much as you may feel like, man, the Lord has a standard. He just keeps going out my sin. Let me just say this, um, as much as you feel wearied by like, man, God just is relentless in his pursuit in this book, God is just as wearied. He hates that sin just as much. So I want you to see that. And, and then the response being how is really important uh, as to what's being said. So the response is, or the response is to how have we wearied God? Everyone who does evil is good in the sight of the Lord. This is what the people of God are saying. Everyone who does evil is good in the sight of the Lord. And he delights in them. Or by asking, where is the God of justice? So what's happening is the people of God and what's wearying God is the people of God are seeing things that are evil and they are calling them good. Or they're seeing things that are good and they're calling them evil. Now it's important for you to know they believe what they're saying is right. But that doesn't make it right. And this is wearying the Lord. 
As we see there, he, he's wearied by the fact that they're flipping this upside down. So let me give you like a, just a, a modern idea. Let's, let's uh, uh, interfere or kind of upset the partisan uh, politics in the room, right? This would be like us saying, hey, uh, killing a baby is okay and pocketing it in the right to choose. That's evil, but you're pocketing it in something that's good. But it's also, let's just go to the other side, right? This is also mistreating the immigrant. This is also mistreating the soldier and calling it protecting a nation. Right now you could say, wow, that's like hot button topics. Here's what's so ironic about me bringing those examples up. You can say and accuse whatever we want of pushing against Republicans or Democrats. That's actually what the people of God are doing in this text. So it's like cyclical historically. This is, this is why, as we'll find out, God is upset that the way they are treating life is not the way that he wants them to treat it. He has a standard. The way they are treating the soldier and the immigrant, the, the, the marginalized, it's not right. And God has issue with that. So that's what upsets. That's what uh, he continues to, to belabor this point over and over. Man, I am wearied by this. And let's go to verse three. It says this. Behold, I send my messenger and he will prepare the way before me. And the Lord whom you seek will suddenly come to his temple. And the messenger of the covenant in whom you delight, behold, he is coming, said the, says the Lord of hosts. But who can endure the day of his coming and who can stand when he appears? There's a lot to unpack here. Two things I want you to notice in this section of text. The first thing is, I want you to notice how many people are involved in what's saying, okay? It feels like the text kind of takes on its this own weird idea. Um, first, I want you to notice there's an I, which is God, right? He says, I will send my messenger. Who's my messenger? The messenger is gonna prepare a way before me, and the Lord whom you seek will suddenly come to his temple. There's all this kind of, and, and here's, here's what, what we know. We have a little bit of hindsight to understand what God is saying. God is saying, I see what's going on. You're seeing evil things and you're calling them good. So I'm going to respond. Here's how I'm going to respond. I'm going to send a messenger before this one that is to come, which is me. I'm going to come after this messenger and then I'm going to do something, which we'll find out in the text. Can you not see the Christology in this text? I mean, we have, some, we have some hindsight here, but the reality is, I mean, just historically we understand, and we'll see at the end of this book, um, it's talking about Elijah, but it is clear, New Testament-wise, this is John the Baptist. God himself comes as he has someone prepare the way before him. You can see it, Jesus, right? Connect the dots. Come on, we can do this together, right? Okay, do you, do you see what's happening here? This is a prophetic text that God is saying, I'm going to come. I'm going to have someone prepare the way before me, and it's going to be this day of reckoning for the Lord. The second thing I want you to notice is it switches time tenses. It goes from here's what you've been doing, here's what you are doing, to now here's what I'm going to do. And that's important. Those tenses are important because um, what's going to happen from here is not an easy thing to hear. And this is usually where the nominal Christian in the room or the, the person who loves to follow Jesus because of all the good things that God might give you might go, hey, I'm out. I'm out because this, this, this next part isn't easy what he's going to lay out. And I, I need you to understand why this is important, though. I, you know, uh, like a lot of you, um, when I left church on Sunday, uh, immediately, you know, you're flooded with texts and stuff uh, in regards to Kobe Bryant's death and, and to find out all this stuff. And it was brutal for multiple reasons. And, um, you know, in that interaction, he, here's what's crazy. I, I'm, my wife texts me. I call her. I go, is this real? Like this is, I can't, you know, you can't even believe it's real. I'm in the parking lot. We're at 79th Avenue in Thunderbird. This is where Centennial is. Okay. I live at 67th Avenue in Peoria. So maybe 10 minute drive, maybe a 10 minute drive. Okay. Three miles at most from the point of here. After I get off the phone with my wife, Candace, I turn on ESPN radio and I start to hear the interactions from here to there. 
I had to hear eight different renditions of this story. Rick Fox was on the helicopter. All of, his, all of his children were on the helicopter. Jesus came back. You're like, what's happening right now? Like, how are these? And they, they don't know. And, and here's what, what, what I realized uh, this, because I, I participated in as well. I went on to our group chat because our group chat was blown up in regards to what was going on. Everyone hear this. I started to report what ESPN told. And here's what, what, what I, I recognized in all of this. There was a prerogative above something else. What I found out was it wasn't about being right. It was about being first. The prerogative over being accurate with the news for this 10-minute drive, like the prerogative of being accurate, what was more important was being right. And so all these things, or I'm sorry, what was more important was being first. So all these news stations, all these people, they want to be first to break the news. But we do this all the time, not just in areas of news. It's not who's the, the, who's the, the correct voice. It's who's the loudest voice. We have different prerogatives. Hear me when I say this. God is concerned with accuracy. And so you're bringing whatever you want to the table. He's very much concerned with accuracy. And so when he steps into this zone of, hey, listen, I got to shake things up because he sees things in your life out of love. And he goes, that's a distortion of sex. That's a distortion of love. That's a distortion. And I love you enough to confront it. He cares about accuracy. He cares about accuracy. And so, so, so when we go into this text, that's what I want you to hear. A God of love cares very much about accuracy. Here's what it is, what God says as he sends his way. This is what he's going to respond with as the people call evil good and good evil. For he is like a refiner's fire and like fuller's soap. He will sit as a refiner and purify silver, and he will purify the sons of Levi and refine them like gold and silver. And they will bring offerings and righteousness to the Lord. Then the offering of Judah and Jerusalem will be pleasing to the Lord as in the days of old and as in former years. So there's two analogies that he's going to begin to go in on, okay? The first one is he's going to say a refiner's fire, and the second one is fuller soap. He spends more time on the refiner's fire, so I'm going to explain that uh, here in a second. Let's just explain what fuller soap is. My guess is 99% of us in the room don't know what fuller soap is. Full disclosure, I had no idea what fuller soap was. I just studied this whole deal, right? Watching videos, my wife's like, what are you doing? I'm just watching how fuller soap, um, okay? And so here's what fuller soap, it, it would be better, honestly, to not think of fuller soap as a product, but maybe more of a process. I feel like that's kind of helped categorize it in my brain, meaning you wouldn't like go to the store and be like, there's dishwasher soap, there's laundry soap, and there's fuller soap. It's not like that. Um, it's far more of, uh, there's a fuller who has um, a certain way of washing clothes, okay? And this certain way, he uses certain, or she uses certain products to wash these clothes in a certain way, okay? One of the commentators I thought said it really well and says this, a fuller was someone who cleansed and thickened, or to make full, freshly woven, usually woolen cloth. The process involved cleaning, bleaching, wetting, and beating the fibers to a consistent and desirable condition. Fuller's earth was a variety of clay that was used to scour and cleanse the cloth. Fuller's soap was an alkaline made from plant ashes that was used to clean and full new clothes. So here's what you need to know. You would bring these, this uh, cloth, usually wool cloth, that you can't clean on your own. You'd bring it to a fuller, and they'd usually be downstream somewhere, and they would be washing these um, articles of clothing or cloth, whatever it is, a very certain way. And there's three things that came to mind as I studied uh, the way a fuller cleans clothes. Number one, it's very intentional. Like the fuller's not, you're not bringing the clothes. I'm like, ah, we'll figure it out. Just kind of throw it in the pile over there. Like they have a very intentional process. Number two, it is difficult. 
I mean, you, you can see this. Look, look at, I don't uh, what the commentator said. He said this, the process involves cleaning, bleaching, wetting, and beating the fibers. FYI, this is what God is describing and how he's treating his people. Okay, keep that in mind. But the third thing, which I love in understanding fuller soap, it's not just intentional, it's not just difficult, but it is effective. It's effective. And this is why God uses this analogy. I mean, jump to verse four there. You can see it. Because of this analogy, then the offerings of Judah and Jerusalem will be pleasing. The way that God is choosing to cleanse his people, it's not easy, but it's intentional. It's difficult, but it's effective. He'll get us there. Now, that's one analogy. The second analogy he gives is one of refiner's fire. Now, um, to understand this, I want to actually take a step back and, and just have you process fire in general. It's actually a pretty trippy word if you meditate on it for a second. Because if I say campfire, you have this notion in your mind, right? You're picturing something, campfire. My guess is you're not picturing something bad unless you had a negative uh, um, interaction when you were younger with campfire. You probably picture singing or just hanging out, talking, whatever it is. Now, I, now imagine that's, camp, that's a campfire. Imagine forest fire. Like California has been ravaged with a forest fire. Right? That's a totally different fire. If I say a, a fire from a candle, just this little this thing that we light this candle, you probably picture this dark room or whatever it is, softness, however you'd want to articulate that, right? So fire is this weird thing, and we're given a very specific kind of fire here because it's interesting. Fire can both be destructive and helpful, which we would all know, but we also use fire in destructive ways to be helpful. We call this controlled burns. We, 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 we use fire to burn off other areas so that that fire can't contaminate another area. I want to read to you from John Piper. I thought he articulates this really well, why specifically God is describing himself as a refiner's fire. He is a refiner's fire. And what makes all, and that makes all the difference. A refiner's fire does not destroy indiscriminately like a forest fire. A refiner's fire does not consume completely like the fire of an incinerator. A refiner's fire refines it purifies. It melts down the bar of silver or gold, separates out the impurities that ruin its value, burns them up, and leaves the silver and gold intact. He is like a refiner's fire, and he's right. God's describing himself very specifically here, but the process is still the same. It's intentional with the refiner's fire. He's not just, I don't know, light a fire, and we'll just start throwing metal in it. He gets it to a certain temperature. He's a very certain way to do it. It's very intentional, but there's no question it's difficult. Probably more difficult than a fuller washing clothes. But hear me when I say this, and you know what's coming. It's effective. It's effective. To be in the refiner's fire is not easy, but at the end of it all, the way the refiner's fire works is as the impurities boil to the top, he skims off the impurities. You have more and more. You do this process over and over and over again. It is difficult, but it is effective. And in the end, the reason God is giving this analogy, and I quote again, verse four, then the offering of Judah and Jerusalem will be pleasing to the Lord. This is good news. This is good news. Now, I want to stop for a second because here's what I think every believer in the room is doing. We hear this process, and for the most part, we actually um, long for this. My hope would be that as believers, we're longing to be refined, to look more and more like Jesus. That would be the hope. But I worry that this whole process has been sexied up a little bit, and we're missing it all together. I I worry that we hear this and we go, yes and amen, and we don't realize, but it's still fire, And it's still difficult. 
And what comes along with this is not an easy path. It's not easy to pick up your Bible when you want to jump on Facebook. It's, it's not easy to, to go without food when you're fasting. It's not easy to spend that time in prayer instead of listening to the radio. That's not an easy path. And it's not sexy. It's not always uh, the go-to from your flesh. But the refiner's fire is intentional. It's difficult, but it's effective. But it's effective. It's actually that same commentator I quoted before. He says this. He says, it does say fire, and therefore purity and holiness will always be a dreadful thing. There will always be a proper fear and trembling in the process of becoming pure. We learn it from a time when we are children. Never play with fire, and it's a good lesson. Therefore, Christianity is never a play thing, and the passion for purity is never flippant. He is like fire, and fire is serious. You don't fool around with it. The reality is, finally, five years, I finally get an amen. That's what I'm saying. Five years in, y'all. Five years. You know, it's interesting. In 1 Peter 1, 7, this is exactly how us, for us as believers, how our faith is described. Listen to this. 1 Peter 1, 7. The tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire. Our faith itself is saying, listen, let's go through the crucible. It's not easy, but it's intentional. It's difficult, but it's intentional. Hear me. It's effective. Christianity was never meant to be for the nominal. It's never meant to be for the easy path. That's not the way that Christ lays things out for us. Now, I want you to see the next shift in this text, and it's the last verse that we're going to cover in verse 5, chapter 3. Because there's a shift here that if we're we're not careful, we'll miss. Verse 5 starts with the word, then. Now, I need you to see chronologically, um, there's some things that, some dots we need to connect. In verse 4, I want you to see the word, then. These words are important. Because, um, we can put these things up together. And what happens is, is what we can see is God is saying, hey, listen, I'm going to refine, but I want you to see this. Not everyone's being refined. Okay, I need you to see that. Listen to this. We'll purify the sons of Levi in verse three. In verse four, then the offerings of Judah and Jerusalem will be pleasing. So, so why are we purifying or refining everyone? Why isn't everyone's offerings being refined? Well, why isn't that the case? Why aren't they all being accepted? And, and the, the order in which we see things, it says God sees his people and those who choose to partake in the refiner's fire, he refines. Now, after he comes in, he says, I refine my people. Hear me, give me grace then judgment comes. Then judgment comes. And this is what it says. Then I will draw near to you for judgment. Here's what's so crazy about that word judgment. I want you to go back. You can see it in in chapter two in verse 17. uh, When it's going back and forth between uh, uh, the Lord and Malachi and, and, and the people, one of the people's plea was, God, here it is. God, where is the justice? Now, what you may not see in English is true in Hebrew. Some of your translations actually say it. The same word for justice there is the same word we get for judgments. Now, this is interesting because all of us want justice, but so many of us think we are um, beyond or outside of the borders of receiving the justice that's due, right? And so here you are, you kind of stand and you go, like for whatever reason, it's your parents' fault, it's your neighbor's fault, it's someone else. You want justice. You want something to happen to them. They're over there. And he says, no, 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 no. Judgment's coming. It's the same word. Judgment's coming. So, so be aware of this. Look at you. Look at you. You want justice to come? Fine. Justice is coming to Israel. You wanted it to come? It's coming. And this is God's declaration. He is answering their prayers. This is what it says. Then I will draw near to you for judgment. You ready? And I will be a swift 
witness. What's crazy about Western Christianity is we've processed the doctrine of justification specifically in the confines of a courtroom, meaning we have always thought the way that God saves us is a courtroom. You're guilty. You are received a sentence, but someone else serves that sentence for you, i.e. Jesus Christ. Now, in that whole scenario, God is always the judge, which is yes and amen true. What I love about this is God as the judge makes himself another part in that courtroom scenario. Because as you stand there and the fire's too hot and you don't want to be in it, the process is too difficult. You don't want any part of it. You have your own prerogative. You have your own way. God's way is is what it is, but I I think I know better. You, You are calling good evil, evil good. You have your own ideas, perversions of the way that things go. And you go, here's what I'm doing. In that moment, And God says, why didn't you trust me? Why didn't you trust me? I laid this out. I provided the perfect plan for humanity. Humanity. Why didn't you trust me? And in that moment when you go, I stop, there's a witness in the room. And God, not just as judge goes, no, 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 no. I was there. Don't lie. I gave you opportunities. Don't lie. I was there. I saw the way that you interacted. You say you want me now, but you didn't want me. You didn't want my ways. The fire was too hot. The soap cleansed too much. It dug too deep. And this is God in this moment saying, I see you. And more than anything else, what causes is trembling from this. This is not an easy process to understand. And I was thinking of ways to articulate this. And so um, I found the perfect analogy. I think at least the perfect analogy of what's going on in this scenario. I've been waiting to share this with you guys. Um, So around Thanksgiving or on Thanksgiving Day, you know, we were all eating uh, Thanksgiving meal and we're talking and um, we had a certain pie. Now I want to put a, a word on the screen. I don't want you to say this word. Please do not whisper it. Don't say it. Okay. I want to put this word up on, on, on the screen. Okay. We had this kind of pie. And what I realized in the interacting of that, of, of having this pie is it was crazy. There was probably, I mean, it was my family six and there was four others. So there's 10 of us. There was a pretty like drastic difference in the way that we were pronouncing this pie, Right. Jesus, even at the table, there were three different ways that it was being pronounced. And this, things like this drive me crazy, okay? And so um, Candace and I started looking more and realizing there's all these different ways to pronounce this word, right? So let me give you, I found eight, but let me give you four different ways that this, this has been pronounced. Some of you see this word, and what you see is pecan, okay? And that's because you are refined by the fire, holy, and righteousness, because that's... <laughs> That is, that is the correct biblical way to pronounce that word, pecan, okay? Now, there's some of you less righteous who still need to go through the crucible, okay, who pronounce it pecan, which does, no, okay, no, don't cheer for it because that's wrong, okay? You see this word and you say pecan. There's some of you who actually also at the table, pecan. So pecan, pecan, pe- and then, geez, I'm getting all these mixed up. Pecan, okay? Different from pecan, pecan. A little iteration there, which is also wrong, okay? Um, and then as we were searching, like a fourth definition, I got to share with you. Somebody was arguing on the internet, phonetically, the way that it should be pronounced is pecan, okay? And listen, here's the reality, okay? If you're in the room and you pronounce the room, that, that word pecan, honestly, you really need to reevaluate your place in society because there's nobody who is going, yeah, pecking, right? And he was, he was an English teacher arguing for the rules of English. I'm like, I don't care what you say. I ain't ever calling it pecking. Um, okay. Now here's, here's what I thought was um, funny, but also kind of uh, wild about this idea. At some point, somebody pulled this tree nut down, right? It's actually a droop, but this pulled this tree nut down and they called it something. They called it pecan. That's what it's called, right? Okay. 
And in calling it something, as languages changed, and it went from one language to another language, as accents were added, we started to get different variations of this word. We started, and hear me, so then we can sit at our Thanksgiving or our Christmas tables and we can all call this pie a different name and absolutely be okay with it. We can all have our own ideas, our own accents. Josh is going to try to have the last word and say it's pronounced one a different way. Don't listen to him. He's wrong. The way that he's going to pronounce it, okay? We're all, but we're okay with it. We're all okay saying, you can pronounce it pecan, you can pronounce it pecan. It doesn't matter. Hear me when I say this. That's not how righteousness works. That's not how righteousness works. And so God is looking and he's saying, here's a way to do it. But there's some in the camp of Israel who are saying, I hear you, but I want to do it this way. In that moment, God isn't saying, well, that's okay. You pronounce it one way, I pronounce it another. That's not how righteousness works. And so anyone who sees the refiner's fire and says, listen, I trust you for purification. I don't have the answers, but I trust you for philosophy. I trust you for the way of life. I trust for you for the way that I should interact with my kids, my husband, my wife, my neighbor, my coworker, my classmates. I trust you in this pathway, the way I should operate my body, the thoughts, the thoughts that I should think. I trust you for all of this. Those in the refiner's fire, hear me, will be refined and it will be good. But there are some in the room who only have a dreadful judgment waiting because they don't want anything to do with the refiner's fire. Now hear me, I'm not saying this to, to be mean or aggressive or like to like fire and brimstone. What the text is putting in front of us is a very simple order. Listen to the order because it's almost prophetically historical. Listen to the order. 2.17 says people are backwards in their sin. 3, 1 and 2 says because people are backwards in their sin, God is going to send someone. Three, three through four says, because people are backward in their sin, God's going to send someone and that someone will purify his people. Three, five says, because people are backwards in their sin, God's going to send someone, that someone's gonna purify their sins and whoever doesn't wanna be purified will be judged. That's the order of the text. And so some of you in the room, I mean, you're not a believer. I say this in love, please repent. See his way, see his standard. Now, what we have from here is this list, and we get lists all the time in the New Testament. You can look at Colossians 3, 1 Corinthians 6, Galatians 4 and 5. But you can honestly even argue the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew 5 through 7 is this list, right? We see these things that are, God says, here's what's pleasing, uh, and, and here's what's not pleasing. Here's what is sin. And as you look through this list, you see against the adulterer. This is who God is against. The sorcerer, against the adulterer, against those who swear falsely, against those who oppress the hired worker and his wages, who's, those who oppress the widow, who oppress the fatherless, against those who thrust aside the soldier. Here's what I say. Even if you're a believer or not in this room, my guess is you're down for the cause for the back half of that list. I mean, I doubt very many people in this room would see, oh yeah, oppressing an orphan's totally cool. Oppressing a widow, yes, I'm for it. Turning aside the soldier, yes and amen. Very few people. Now, side, let me just kind of step out of this box for a second. What's ironic about that is if you're not a believer in here, what you don't recognize is you actually have far more of a Christian background than you actually think. Um, we have a lot of ethics that we hold to that are based on the kingdom of God. Um, because if you look at Eastern cultures, they wouldn't hold to those same ideas, same ethics. They would say the orphan and the widow, they're a lost cause. So you, you're more Christian than you even know back into preaching. Okay. Um, now here's what, what I say this, you read this list for the most part though, you would agree with the back half, but here's, what's also true. I think every believer, at least in the room would go, cool. I'm none of those. I can stand up here with full integrity and say, I don't practice sorcery. I'm not an adulterer. 
I don't swear falsely, which means intentionally lie. I'm not against though. I don't oppress the hired worker in his wages um, or oppress the widow or oppress the fatherless. And I'm not, uh, uh, I, and I'm not one of those who thrust aside the sojourner. Sojourner. I, I, that's, not, that's not me. That's not, and I can read that list and I'm totally fine. I can read the list in Galatians 4 and 5. I can read the Colossians 3 list. I can read 1 Corinthians 6. It's all true. I think we miss it though. And it's the last thing here that uh, I think we need to draw our attention to. It's the last thing that kind of uh, brings us all in, especially if you're not, the, uh, not a believer in this room. And here's the declaration. Though you may be able to go, cool, I'm not any of these things. I'm free and clear. Here it is. But this also includes those who do not fear me. You know, what's interesting is you have your own path, your own way, because you don't fear him. Now, listen, there, we've talked through this. There's healthy versions of fear. The reality is my children fear me because they know I'm the boss, but they want to be near me. They're not, it's not a fear out of uh, uh, he's going to hurt me. It's a fear because I'm in control. I love how Charles Spurgeon said it. He says, unregenerate fear drives from God. Gracious fear drives to him. As you see him and you know him, you want to know his ways more. You go, Lord, the refiner's fire is hot. And it's not easy, it's, it's difficult, and there's moments I want out, but I trust you for purification. And others in the room go, the refiner's fire is hot. And you know what? It's not worth it. And you don't fear the Lord. You don't fear his ways, and you want or know or believe you've got it down. You've got the plan, you know what's best. And so, hear me when I say this, I say this in grace. Those who aren't refined are judged. And you want to stand before Jesus on that day, God, have mercy on your soul. And I know that sounds like fire and brimstone, but it's here. It's here. Um, I want to actually finish with um, something that's maybe a little more uh, celebratory. Um, we're going we're gonna to read a song, or we're going to sing a song at the end. And I try to do this sometimes with the songs that we sing. The last song that we're going to sing um, is, uh, I think, um, good for the believer in the room. So I'm specifically talking to the believer in the room. Hear me when I say this, believer. Um, the day of judgment is coming and the judge will sit in his seat and he will know your thoughts. He will know your hearts. He will know what you did. That day is coming. We believe it as in the hope of the resurrection. We believe it's coming. He is also the witness and he will bear witness against what we did and did not do when we should have done something or shouldn't have done something. That is all true believer. Hear that. Yes. And amen. And let me tell you something, believer, check it out. You don't got to worry about anything. It's okay. That day's coming and it gives you goosebumps and there's something to be afraid about, but check it out. Somebody's got your back. Somebody's in that courtroom with you. Somebody in that moment goes, no, no, no. It's all true. It's all true. But listen to the song. Listen to this. Hallelujah. Death is beaten. Christ has risen from the grave. Hallelujah. It is finished all to you. The highest praise. Listen to the bridge of this song that we're going to sing where there was sin. Your love rushed in where sin runs deep. Your grace runs deeper for all enslaved. The ransom paid light of the world. Yours is the power where there is sin. Your love rushed in where sin runs deep. Your grace runs deeper for all enslaved. The ransom paid light of the world. Yours is the power. Do you hear that? You ain't saving yourself. You ain't refining yourself. He's got you. Don't get out the fire because it's too hot, because it's too difficult. Don't move away from the washing because it's uncomfortable and it's difficult. He's got you. Trust him for purification. Walk the narrow road. And in that day, you ain't got nothing to worry about. Let's pray.
Father, thank you for the reminder of Malachi 2 that um, there is a fear, a trepidation that circles around you and that we are not to take your ways or who you are lightly. I pray that our life uh, would reflect that, that we would um, understand that as long as we're in the refiner's fire, though sin is coming, you're purifying us. Though we make the wrong uh, choice, you're purifying us. We're moving along, we're moving along, we're moving along, and we need that. I pray for every soul in here that they would not see the fires too hot to jump out. They would understand the road and the path is difficult. It's not easy to be washed this way, to be uh, beaten and washed by the fuller soap, but I pray, Spirit, hold them. Keep them close to your heart. May we together trust you as your plea with the people of Israel in this time was. God, may we, we see your ways. And I pray, God, that every believer in the room would take security in knowing on the day of judgments, Jesus, you're next to us. Thank you for that. We love you. In your name we pray. Amen.